Turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. I got back from the men's retreat. I came back early last night and, uh, and had folks ask me last week, oh, you know, you're, you're going to the men's retreat. Who's preaching? I said, oh, no, I'm, I'm coming back for this one. I really, really like this passage in Galatians. It's, it's one of my favorites in the book, both because I think it's very clever the way Paul argues, the way he sort of takes what his opponents are saying and, and flips it around on them. Um, but also, Paul begins to explain to us here, like, why is this so important? I mean, sure, there's theology, right? We want to think rightly, salvation by faith alone. Of course, it's important that we understand these things. But really, does it matter in your everyday life? You know, imagine you and I have some big fight about predestination, right? We're arguing late into the night, and I'm saying, no, it's all predestined. And you're arguing late into the night, no, it's all free will. When we both go home and have dinner, Right? When Elizabeth calls me to the meal, I do not say to her, if the Lord has predestined me to eat, he has predestined the food into my stomach, and sit there and wait. And if you go home, and they call you to dinner, and somebody says, oh, I'm going to say grace, right? you don't leap up and say, what? It was my will that bought the food, my will that cooked it, my will that put it on the table. Why are you offering thanks to a God who had nothing to do with it? Right? It's a theological debate, but at the end of the day, we both go home and, you know, I get up and go and eat as if my will matters, because of course it does, and you say thanks to God as if his sovereignty matters, because of course it does. What does it matter whether we think this way or not? Why is it important that we, we get this idea that God deals with us on the basis of just a promise he made End of discussion. Paul's going to begin to explain that here. And I think that's really, really significant. So follow along with me. Galatians chapter 4. I'm going to read from verse 21 to the end of the chapter, verse 31. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it's written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and one by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh but his son by the free woman was born as the result of a divine promise. These things are being taken figuratively. The women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free and she is our mother. For it is written, be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child, Shout for joy and cry aloud, you who are never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It's the same now. But what does Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we're not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Now, let's recap real quick where Paul is because it's significant what he's doing with his opponents. You remember two, three, four years ago, Paul planted this church in Galatia. It's a Roman province. It's not part of Israel, but there is a large synagogue there. There's a large population of Jews. Paul's on his travels. It turns, he gets sick. Something happens. He ends up staying there longer than he expects. He plants a church. It has both Jews who've become Christians And Gentiles, non-Jews, people who used to worship Zeus and Apollo and Mithras and all those things. He's got these two groups together. And at some point, after Paul has left, people have shown up, Jewish Christians, absolutely Christians, 
But there are Christians who used to be Jews, probably from Jerusalem. We read about them in the book of Acts. And they're telling the Galatians, you know, Paul, I mean, everything he said was true. Every word of it was true. But there's some fine print. You know, when you watch the commercial and the person on TV says, we're giving away a free iPhone 14 to all customers who come in this week. And then you look down at the bottom of the screen and it says, with appropriate trade-in, if you're a new customer, requires a 48-month contract with activation fee, right? It's true, they're giving away iPhone 14s to people who come in. If, if you meet all those criteria, then you'll get it. That's what these people are telling the, the, the Christians in Galatia. Paul didn't tell you the ifs. The if is you've got to become a Jew. The, the Christianity is the continuation of Judaism. It's the blessings that God promised to Abraham. So you got to become like Abraham. You got to become a Jew. Especially you got to be circumcised. Abraham was circumcised, and God's people have always been circumcised. Abraham was circumcised. Moses was circumcised. David was circumcised. Solomon, I mean, you name it, they're all circumcised. If you want to be in the, in the family, if you want to be one of God's people, you, you've got to be circumcised. You've got to become a Jew. You've got to follow the law. Then, then everything Paul said is true, as long as you get those prerequisites. And wow, throughout this letter, Paul's just hammering on why that is not true, not true, absolutely, under no circumstances, is that true? And remember the arguments he's made. He's made an argument from his own life, saying that's not how it worked for me. He's asked them, is that how it worked for you? Is that what happened to you? Did you do these things and God responded? That, that's not what happened. He's talked about the scripture. He's made some arguments from scripture. He's talked about effectively contract law, talked about these two different covenants, these ways that people make agreements. And now, because in the ancient world, you know, we line up all our arguments together. They go back. Then he goes back and he starts talking about his own life and their life again. He actually puts them together. That's what we looked at last week. He, he talks about him and them together. And now he's going to take the next two, scripture and covenants, contract law, and he's going to put them together. And so... <laughs> We translate the very first line, you know, are you not aware of what the law says? That's a really polite way for a really snarky statement. Uh, if you're going to do it, with, if I'm going to translate that with a little more vernacular, it's something like, okay, uh, tell me, all you who want to be under the law, have you actually ever read the law? Because he's accused them of that before. He's like, you guys, you just cherry pick. You pull a verse here and a story here and you string it together. Like, if you want to be under the law, great. Then you got to do the whole thing. That's what the law says. Do this and live. Do all of it. If you're not going to do it all, that doesn't count. You don't get to say to the cops, I only robbed one of the 10 banks I passed. That's a 90. You can't be mad at me for breaking that law. It's like, hey, you can obey the law. You better obey the whole thing. No cherry picking. He's doing the same thing with them here. Because they're going back to this story in Genesis chapter 17, where Abraham gets circumcised. God comes to Abraham and says, this will be my covenant with you. He ends up circumcising all the men in Abraham's family and his household. And Paul's like, great, let's talk about these stories. And Paul goes one chapter before them. And he pulls this story out of Genesis chapter 16. He's like, you want to talk about scripture? Great, let's talk. So you know what the scripture says. Abraham had two sons, right? He had a son by a slave, and then he had a son by his wife. And, and that's the story in Genesis chapter 16. Abraham, with the full knowledge of his wife, he's not messing around, his wife encourages him to do this. He sleeps with one of his slaves, the, the, the slave who's the handmaiden or, or the maidservant to Sarah, sort of her, her main slave that helped take care of her. He sleeps with her. She's probably early to mid-20s. She gets pregnant. 
And she has a son. That son is Ishmael. And Paul says that son was born according to the flesh, which is his shorthand way of saying, you know, this is the normal way things happen, right? Of course, a 20-something-year-old girl got pregnant. That's the way the world works. But the son of Sarah, I mean, Hagar's 20-something. Sarah's 90-something. When Sarah gets pregnant, that is not the way the world works. Sarah has been bare. They've been married for 50 years, probably more. When God gives the talks to him about circumcision, Sarah's never been able to have kids. She's barren. When she has a kid, Paul says, that's a divine promise. Because God had said that to Abraham even earlier back in Genesis. Promises Abraham. Because Abraham's like, I I got no kids. You've blessed me, and I'm just going to have to give it away. I don't have anybody to leave it to. And God's like, absolutely, you and Sarah will have children. I I guarantee it. You will leave everything I have given you to your legitimate physical offspring. You and Sarah will have children. So Paul's like, okay, so Abraham had two sons, right? And I imagine all of the Jewish Christians, because this is being read out loud, they're all nodding, right? Yeah, of course, right? So we could take these things figuratively, Paul said. They're not just stories. It's not just history. It's absolutely history. But there's more to it, Paul says. God is explaining things in these stories. These two women represent two covenants. Okay, now, you got to think like these guys. Right? I told you, when we make arguments, we list it all. Here's all my argument from my personal life. Here's my argument from your life. Here's my argument from scripture. Here's my argument from contract law, conclusion. And they're going to make one argument from each, and then they're going to go back and do it again and do it again. That, that's the way they do it. When he says two covenants, you got to remember he's already talked about covenants. I mean, for us, it was weeks ago. For them, it was five, ten minutes ago. They're just reading the letter. He's expecting you as his reader or his his listener to think back. These women are two covenants. Okay, we've talked about covenants. What did we say about covenants before? Because there are. There's two kinds of covenants in his world. Remember, a covenant is the way everything gets done. There's no law courts. there's There's no judges. There's no lawyers. There's no contract law. If you want to make an agreement, it's a binding promise called a covenant. And this is the way everything works. When two people get married, it's a covenant. When two guys do a business deal, it's a covenant. When two countries make a treaty, it's a covenant. That's how they do it. He's told us there's two kinds of covenants. And of course there are. There's a covenant where each side makes a promise to the other. We call it bilateral, if that matters to you. Bi meaning two. You got a covenant where I say, if you bring me 300 gallons of olive oil, I will pay you $1,000, right? That's a covenant. We each have a part to play. You've got to bring all that olive oil I've got to bring the money. If you don't bring the olive oil, you're not getting the money. And if I don't bring the money, you're not giving me the olive oil. We each have to do our part. And that is a normal way that human life works. I mean, just think about that. That is how all contracts in the world are written. Because Paul contrasts that with the other kind of covenant, which is a unilateral covenant. Uni meaning one. It's where one side just says, I will give you 300 gallons of olive oil. Full stop. End of discussion. That's it. There's nothing else there. I'm just promising to do it. There's no money involved. You're not doing anything. You know, it's as if I said to my kids, hey, after dinner, I've got a surprise for you. That's a unilateral. It's just a promise. I'm just going to do it. Or I can say to my kids, hey, after dinner, I've got a surprise for you. If you clear your plates. If you eat it all. If you eat all your food, I've got a surprise for you. You've got one, which is just a promise. I'm just going to do this. After dinner, I'm going to do this. The other is, well, if you keep your end of the bargain, 
then after dinner, I'll do this. But if you don't, if you don't clean your plate, don't expect to get the surprise. We got these two women, Paul says, they're two covenants. They're two ways that people deal with each other. There's the normal way, which is I promise this and you promise this. And as long as we both keep our end of the bargain, it's good. But hey, if you don't do your end, I'm not doing my end. And if I don't do my end, you're not doing your end. Or Paul says the other way is you just make a promise. I will do this. End of discussion. Doesn't matter what you do. After dinner, I've got a surprise for you. Doesn't matter whether you eat your food or not. Doesn't matter what you did this afternoon. I'm going to do this. It's on me. After dinner. He's expecting us to remember that as he says it. Okay, so you've got Hagar and Sarah. These two women. One covenant is from Mount Sinai. Now again, put yourself in their place. It's the Jews who go to Mount Sinai. Those are the children of Isaac, the son of Sarah. Isaac's children. Sarah has Isaac. He's the child of the promise. His children eventually become the Jewish people. Moses takes them out of slavery. They go to Mount Sinai and they get the law. One covenant, Paul says, is from Mount Sinai. Now, everyone in this room that's listening to this who's a Jewish Christian has gone, yep, right, that's us. That's the Jews. (laughs) And wow, does Paul slap them around. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now, every Jewish Christian in that room has got to be going, what, what, no, no, wait, not that. Because the children of Ishmael, the son of Hagar, the slave girl, and the children of Isaac, the Jews, they don't like each other. They didn't like each other. Abraham dies 75 years after Isaac is born. When he dies, Genesis says that Isaac and Ishmael, his two sons, come back together to bury him. And this is the first time they have seen each other in a long time because their families do not get along. Within one generation, the children of Ishmael and the children of Isaac have, just don't want anything to do with each other. <laughs> they have some good biblical phrase like they live in hostility to one another. You know, I mean, within a single generation, before Abraham dies... His two sons are fighting, and their families are fighting. And 2,000 years later, when Paul writes this, they're still fighting, and they are still fighting today. The the, the Arabs trace their descent through Ishmael, first son of Abraham. The Quran explains that they come, the Arab people come from Abraham. They are the original eldest children of Abraham. The Jews are the, the second son. They're not the first son. They were fighting each other in Abraham's time. They were fighting each other in Paul's time. And they are still fighting each other today. And Paul says to the Jews, you know, you got these two two ways of relating to God. You got one way, which is Mount Sinai, and those are the slaves. Those are the children of Hagar and Ishmael. Those are the people who are far from God. Paul says, if you're trying to go back to that old transactional way of working with God. All right, I'll make you a deal, God. You do this and I'll do this. You keep this and I'll keep that. You make sure this happens, I'll make sure that happens. Paul says, if you're gonna try and live with God that way, if, you're, if you want that bi-directional covenant where you each agree to things and wow, you don't keep your end, he's not keeping his end. He doesn't keep his end, you don't keep your end. He said, you're slaves. You're living in slavery. You're no better than Ishmael, the illegitimate son of Abraham. I mean, that must have been a slap in the face to the Jewish Christians who are listening to this. Paul says that is not what God wants. That is not what God was doing. 
Because Isaac is born according to a promise. The present Jerusalem, Paul says, she's in slavery with all her children, which is all of you Jewish Christians who want to go back and just be Jews again, Paul says. All of you who want to give up on the promise God made and go back to, well, I'll do, you know, I'll do this, and then, of course, God will do that. That's the way, that's the way the world works. That's according to the flesh. That's, that's the way all of humanity works together. I agree to this, and you agree to that, and as long as we both do it, everything works, and if one of us bails, then it's, it's off. We're done. Paul says, no. No, that's slavery. You are enslaving yourself. The Jerusalem that is above, she is free and she is our mother. For it is written, and then he takes his quote from Isaiah. Again, about two women in these different circumstances. One who has children, because that's a normal thing that happens. I mean, that's normal for almost every woman on the planet. Not for every woman, but for the vast majority of women on the planet. They will get married and have kids. You've got one woman who has a husband. She has children. She has the normal way of life. And God says in Isaiah, be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Shout for joy and cry aloud, you who are never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Because God's promise is so much greater and so much bigger and can accomplish so much more than just the normal human way of doing things. Paul turns this whole story around on its head. It's like, guys, if you go back to the law, it's like you're not even descendants from Isaac anymore. You want to be descendants from Ishmael. You want to be descendants from the whole other side of Abraham's family, who, by the way, you're constantly in struggles and hostility with. You're going back to something God has no desire for at all. You're going back to slavery. God's promise. What you want is God's promise. If what you want is children, there's two ways to get it. One is the normal human way, and the other is the promise. And the woman who gets the promise, wow, she has way more children. Way, way more children. Because that's what God does. God makes promises. That's what Paul said on many occasions in this letter. God deals with us in promises. And this story explains, like I said at the beginning, like why does this matter? Like what happens if we think wrongly? Okay, right, yeah, orthodoxy, right? We gotta, we, gotta, we gotta think about this properly. Salvation by faith alone, of course. I checked that box. I got, what does it matter what I think? Look at what happened to Abraham. That's what the, because again, he's expecting that all these Jewish Christians, they know the story he's relating. They know what's going on. What happens to Abraham? When Abraham's 75 years old, God makes him a promise. Again, his wife is 70 something as well. It's like, you will have children. Now, that's not going to happen. His wife is barren. They haven't had children in the, the 40 years, some odd years they've been married. It's not going to happen now. And, you know, I mean, they lived a lot longer in his world. 75, still pretty old to be having kids. Like, this isn't going to happen. But God says it is. It's a promise. It's a unilateral promise. Remember, we talked about this, that they, they would cut animals and walk between them, and the two sides would make their promises to each other and say, you know, may they cut me apart and scatter my pieces like these animals if I don't do my part. And, and God tells Abraham to do that. Cut up the animal, separate it, and you expect that God and Abraham will walk through the middle. Only God walks through the middle alone. He doesn't make Abraham come with him. God walks alone between those animals and says, no, for sure, I will do this. I have promised this. It will happen. It is a done deal. Abraham just sits there and watches. 
God makes Abraham a promise. You will have children. And for 10 years, he hangs on to that promise. And can you imagine that? God said, your wife, Sarah, who's barren, she will get pregnant and you will have a son. And every single month for 10 years, she does not get pregnant. Now, Elizabeth and I did not struggle with infertility at all, but I know some of you have. Like, some of you know how that feels every month to hope you're pregnant. And it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen for 10 years. And after 10 years, Sarah says to Abraham, this isn't working. What she literally says is, God is hindering this. The promise God made, she says, God is opposing this. God is stopping me from having children. So we got to do this another way. So I want you to take my, my handmaid, and I want you to sleep with her, and that's how we will build up the family. We will build up the family. They're not legitimate children, but at least they're children. Because God's not answering his promise. It's not happening. And so Abraham goes along with it. And sh sure enough, in the normal way of things, in humanity, a 20-something-year-old woman gets pregnant and gives birth. And then, as Paul says, you know, what happened at that time? The son born according to the flesh, the older son, Ishmael, he persecuted the younger son. Again, you can read it. Paul's expecting we know this from the story in Genesis. It, yes, that's exactly what happened. Ishmael used to mock and abuse his little brother. We don't know why. We don't know how. We don't know what he was doing. But eventually, they kick him out. Paul says, again, remind me us. Think back a story. Abraham had a promise from God, a unilateral promise. God just said, I will do this. And for 10 years, he hung in there. And then he just couldn't hang in there anymore. He said, okay, you know what? And his wife, I mean, again, his wife's encouraging it and full, fully with him in this. We're going to have to take this into our own hands. God made us a promise. It's not happening. So let's make it happen. Right? We know how to do this. We know what to do. We, even in 2000 BC, they knew where babies came from. We know how to make this happen. Let's make it happen. And so they did. And the children of Ishmael have been fighting with the children of Isaac ever since. That is one of the most disastrous decisions. One of the more, how many people have died in the fighting between the children of Isaac and the children of Ishmael? That decision that Abraham would not wait for God's promise. God has said it. It's just like, like when God said, split the animals, and Abraham, he just sat there. He sat there for like six hours, and nothing happened. And then all of a sudden, this giant flaming pot and torch shows up out of the sky, burns through the animals, and this voice comes out and says, know that I will do this. But he sat there for like six hours before that happened. He sat there, how many hours in 10 years? And now he's taken it into his own hands, and that has been one of the most violent, horrible decisions in the history of humanity. Think of all the suffering that has come out of that decision to take. And again, it was happening when Paul wrote this. They were enemies. They've been enemies for 2,000 years when Paul wrote this. And it's still true today. Abraham 
stopped believing that God did things by just making a promise. And he started saying, well, I'm going to have to get involved. Yep, I'm going to have to do my part. Clearly, you know, I thought this was unilateral. I thought it was just a promise. We just do it. Nope. It turns out I've got to do something before God is going to keep his promise. I've got to act before God will act. And I think Paul is reminding them, wow, do you really want that again? Why does it matter what we think about salvation? Why does it matter whether we think God deals with us according to just a promise? He does it, he's promised it, wait, it will happen. It will absolutely happen. Or, hey, you gotta do your part. You don't do your part, God's not gonna do his part. Right, like, like you got one of those two choices. Why does it matter how we think about that? Because how we think about God, how, salvation's where it begins. I mean, that's, that's our very first connection with God. That's our first agreement. That's the first covenant that we deal with God. Is it that God has promised so it will happen? But we're gonna have to wait. Or do we have to take things into our own hands? And how many times in human history have believers taken things into their own hands with disastrous consequences? Elizabeth and I, when we were in Africa one year, some, a couple girls came. They had just graduated from college, and they came to be teachers. So they, they, they had their certificates, and they were going to teach back home, but they took a year with the mission to teach the mission kids. And they lived in the apartment right across the hall from us because the lady who lived there was on furlough that year. And so we got to know them, and we had them over and you know, helped them and sort of toured them around and, and really enjoyed them, had a great time. They were just there for a year, and they left. About 15 years later we got to hook up with one of these girls again. At this point, she's married, she's got kids, right? I mean, it was one of those crazy God things where we were traveling one way to visit supporters, then they canceled on us, and all of a sudden, we're somewhere. I think we were like just stuck at a house somewhere, and, and she was visiting family, and somehow we knew all this. So she and her kids just drove over, and we got to hang out for a couple hours. We heard about her story. Her husband was career military, but they just left the military because they were convinced God had told them, no, I want you to leave. I've got something else I want you to do. But he didn't say what. And he didn't say when. And so for the last two or three months, they had been living with his parents, which was, you know, okay, not great. But it was okay. They were waiting. They were sure God had told them to leave the military. But he hadn't told them what to do next. And so they were waiting. And she said to me, you know, I was saying, gosh, isn't that hard? <laughs> and don't you wish God would tell you these things more often? She's like, oh, gosh, yes. I mean, every day, you know, her husband and I, were always talking about things. So, but every time I think, you know, because sometimes we're like, you know what? Let's just pick a city and move there and see what happens, right? Let's just, I'll just go get a job and we'll see what happens. Because what's the thought behind that? Well, God, God's not going to do what he said. I mean, God said, leave, and then I'll show you when it's time. But he's not going to do that. i got to take it into my own hands. He said, every time I think that, i, I got to take this. i got to do something. i got to make something happen. I remind myself, I don't want an Ishmael. That's not what I want. You think you want that. That's what Abraham thinks he wants. He thinks he wants a son, right? Any son, any somehow, some son he can pass these things on to. Sure, God's promised, but God's not coming through. So Abraham thinks, well, Sarah thinks, well, we're just gonna, just gonna have to make this happen. And she said, ah, I just remind myself, I don't want an Ishmael. That's not God's plan, that won't go well. And brothers and sisters, I mean, 
gosh, how often do we do that? How often do we say, yep, God's promise, God said, but, but I got to do it. How we think about this question matters. It matters for what, how we live. The orthodoxy, the right thinking, that matters for orthopraxy, right living. Do we live saying God deals with us by making us promises that he will never, never give up, never stop, never change? If God has said it, he will do it. He might not do it this year. He might not do it 10 years from now. Abraham waited 25 years before his wife got pregnant. Now, in my mind, I'm like, God, that, you know, that you're just, that, that's a little long. I, I mean, I know a day is like a thousand years to you, but a thousand years is like a thousand years to me. So can we do this in a day for me instead of a day for you? It, it, that's a long time to wait. And he didn't. And the results were disastrous. They were disastrous for his family. I mean, again, I'm fortunate. I get along well with my siblings and my kids like each other. Some of you have families where your kids are in hostility to one another. Some of you have families where your kids do not get along, and you know the pain of that. You know what Abraham must have gone through, knowing that his two biological sons wanted nothing to do with each other, lived far apart from each other and in hostility to one another, that when they got together, it was not good. Abraham took it in his hand. He believed that God said, I'm going to give you these kids. And scripture says he believed God, but he couldn't wait. He couldn't wait for God. Wait a long, 25 years. That's a long time to wait for a promise. Brothers and sisters, we got the same two choices every day, all the time. Do we trust that God keeps his promises? Because that's what salvation is. It's a promise. You know, salvation is not like an honorary decree. An honorary degree, excuse me. You know, the, the school awards you an honorary degree, but you know what? You do something they don't like, they'll take it right back. They'll make you an honorary doctor of something or other, and then you embarrass them, and they will take away their honorary degree. That's not salvation. Salvation is a promise. Salvation is a promise that Jesus, when we stand before God, we will not give an account for our life because Jesus has already done that. You know, those, uh, you go to Disney, you got the little fast pass thing, you know, you show up, you go in the special line. That's what we're counting on. We get to heaven, there's no interview, there's no Peter at the gates, there's no questionnaire. We got the fast pass, we got the special line. Because Jesus, because Jesus promised he will be there. We believe that Jesus has promised that when we die, he will catch us and he will bring us back to life with him. But it's just a promise. I mean, you, you've realized, right, if you became a Christian, you didn't suddenly start glowing orange or anything. You, you didn't suddenly start photosynthesizing because your arms were green. There's no outward change. It's all inside. We either live believing that God keeps his word, that he promises us and he'll do it. Wow, it may take a while. It may be way longer than we had hoped or expected. But God keeps his promises or we believe that we have to make it happen, and so we do. And I think what Paul's telling us is, wow, you don't want to do that. That just leads to slavery. That just leads to horrible consequences. That leads to thousands of years of conflict. 
You want to be people who believe God. God said this. He'll do it. It's a done deal. When a girl's father comes to Jesus once, she's dying. He comes to him and says, will you come heal my brother? And Jesus, my daughter. And Jesus says, yes. Now at that moment, that girl is healed. But time hasn't caught up to the decree yet. And as Jesus is walking to her house, she dies. And so they come to him and they're like, she's dead, it's too late. <laughs> and scripture says Jesus ignores them and just keeps right on going. Just takes dad and says, you need to trust me. Keeps right on going, walks into the room of a dead girl and says, kid, get up. And of course she sits up because he healed her six hours ago. Time's just gotta catch up to his decree. God told Abraham, you will have, you and Sarah, you will have a legitimate heir to pass everything on to. It took 25 years for time to catch up to that decree. But it's coming. When God says something, it is coming. And we either live like we believe that. We live like children of the promise. That that is always how God deals with people. That's how he dealt with Abraham 4,000 years ago. It is still how he deals with us. He still keeps every promise he ever made. Wow, you know, my Bible reading plan thing, like read your Bible. There's a lot of promises in this book. There's a lot, a lot, a lot of promises in this book. He will keep every single one of them. We either live that or we take it into our own hands, often with disastrous results. So I'm gonna pray for us. I'm gonna ask God's spirit, as I always do, to speak to you. Are there any places in your life where you're saying to yourself, I mean, maybe you're saying it like literally, or maybe it's just sneaking in. Yeah, I, I can't trust God on that. Yeah, I can't, I can't wait on that. Yeah, I know God said this, scripture says that. I gotta do it. I gotta take it. I gotta, I gotta make this happen. If I don't do this, it's not gonna happen. Because sure, God makes promises, but I gotta do this. If I don't do this, then God's not gonna keep his word. Yeah, that's a lie. That's a lie from hell. God always keeps his word. End of discussion. Doesn't matter what you do or don't do. If he has promised, he will do it. I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna ask God's spirit to speak to us. Are there any ways that we're doing that? Boy, if his spirit says something to you, then say, sorry, <laughs> help me do better. Show me. How do, I, how, do I, how do I trust you in this? What do I need to do? Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you that, that you keep promises. Gosh, thank you that you make promises. You bound yourself to Abraham. You made him a promise. You, you went through the animals alone. You swore. Scripture says there's nothing bigger in the universe to swear by except by yourself. So you swore by yourself that you would do this. And you did. And Abraham, boy, I, I so empathize with him. Abraham couldn't wait. He couldn't wait the decades it was gonna take before you fulfilled that promise. Jesus, I pray for us. I pray for my brothers and sisters here. Are any of us doing that? Are there any ways in which we are taking things? We, we, we are, our thinking has gone wrong. We think that we have to do this for you to keep your word. Is there any way our thinking has gone wrong? And so our living has gone wrong. We're, we're living out a lie that you can't be trusted. We're living out a lie that you won't do what you say until we prove something. That, that you won't give us what you've promised until we clear our plates or until we do enough good or whatever it is. 
Whatever that lie is from hell that we believe, Jesus, I pray for us. You told us the truth would set us free. Jesus, Holy Spirit, burn that truth into us. That if you've said it, then it will happen. If you have promised, then you will do it. Lord, speak to us as we take communion, as we sing again, as we we scatter out from here back to our homes and and back to our, as Paul says, uh, according to the flesh, our ordinary human lives throughout the rest of the week. Holy Spirit, remind us. Remind us that, that you can be trusted, that you always keep your word, that it may not be quick, that that we may have to wait a long time, but you always keep your word. Jesus, you're human. You know how hard this is for us. We remember the psalmist. You you know we're dust. You know how hard it is for us to be steady and certain. Help us. Be gracious to us, Lord. Help us to wait where we need to wait. Help us to trust where we need to trust. Help us to stop listening to the lies. The lies that these guys were telling the Galatians that people... We're still listening to it today. You got to do this. If you don't do this, then God's never going to keep his promise. You can't trust him. You got to make it happen. Oh, Jesus, close our ears to those lies. Remind us again and again and again that you love us and that when you speak, then it happens. You are the Lord God Almighty. We pray all these things, Jesus always in your name. We have nowhere else. We have no plan B. We have nowhere else we're going. You are our God. We are your people. We pray in your name. Amen. Now let's finish this time as we always do. Let's remind ourselves. Like, why is all this true? Because Jesus has done it. That that passage that Paul read in Isaiah 54 about rejoice, Be glad. These great things are going to happen. Do you know what comes right before that? Isaiah 53. He was crushed for our iniquities. He was pierced for our transgressions. The penalty for our sin, it was laid on him. By his wounds, we are healed. My servant, God says, my servant took the iniquity of the sinners. He took the penalty of the transgressors. So what's the next word out of Isaiah's mouth? Be glad, rejoice, sing. These things are true because of what Jesus did. Because he made a promise and he kept it. We remind ourselves of that now. There's stations in all four corners. It's got the bread and the cup. There's also one down here that has gluten-free, if you'd like that. I'm going to pray for us again. When I finish praying, just get on up. Go to whichever station looks uh, closest or shortest to you. Get the bread, get the cup, bring it back to your seat, and I'll lead us as we take it together. So pray with me again. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. you, you made this promise and you have kept it, that you have died for us. We can look back 2,000 years to the cross. Thank you. We're so, so grateful. We do exactly what you told us to do, Jesus. When we get together, we remember. We take this bread, we take this cup, and we remember what you have done. We remember you. You have been faithful. You were faithful 2,000 years ago when you walked this earth. You were faithful yesterday. You have been faithful today. You will be faithful tomorrow. Thank you. Help us, Lord. Remind us as we remind ourselves through this ceremony. We pray in your name, Jesus.
always. Amen.